Hello, everyone. This is the Road to Medical Sales podcast. Make sure to please press that subscribe button, rate us, and leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and impact as many lives as possible. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mitch Doyle. Before breaking into medical device sales, Mitch was the Director of Athletic Training Education and Assistant Professor at Coe College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. While in that role, Mitch volunteered his time in a variety of clinical positions to advance his overall medical knowledge. After building his clinical knowledge over the span of 13 years, He received a call from one of his good buddies about an opportunity as a territory sales manager with a distributor in eastern Iowa. From there, he decided to get out of the cold and move out to Arizona to join Arthrex, where he became a full-line sales consultant for arthroscopic and minimally invasive orthopedic surgical procedures. After four years at Arthrex, he decided to change it up and moved on to dental sales, where he patiently waited for his non-compete to expire. After that year was up, he accepted a job at Smith & Nephew that allowed him to focus on his passion in the orthopedic space. In 2019, Mitch won U.S. Rep of the Year by finishing 140% to quota with his team. With all that being said, Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I think you're going to give some great perspective and let our listeners into some very important aspects about this industry. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. Well, do me a favor and think back to the beginning. Tell us about how you broke into the industry and where it has taken you today. Yeah. So like I said, in uh, 2007, I was teaching full-time and doing some other things on the side back in Iowa. And a friend of mine had approached me the year prior and had the entire state and was looking to split his responsibilities and kind of divvy up some of the state. And so he had reached out, threw it to me back in 2006. And at that time, I wasn't really interested in it. And I passed. And in 2007, he came back around. And I decided that I'd give it a listen. And so I met with him and his distributor. We discussed it. And at that time, I told him, I was like, guys, listen, I have zero sales experience. I have zero sales knowledge. Like orthopedics and sports medicine has always been my thing. I just don't know if this is my gig and what I'm going to be good at. And they're like, this is why we want you. We can teach you how to sell. But you know, your background experience is really what we're looking for. And so I took the job. And about two weeks later, I get about 15 packages at my door. And it's because my distributor is based in Kansas City. And so they just sent me all this stuff. And so these packages are by my door and they're like, go get them. And I'm like, go get who? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like trying to figure out how to prospect, how to manage the territory, how to manage my day-to-day activities so that I'm trying to be productive. And this is all before we had any type of tracking. We were doing it on Excel and just throw it on there, see who we went to, what we talked about you know, what kind of success rate, what kind of follow-up. And it was pretty much a learning process from day one. And it was tough. Get told no a lot, didn't get any opportunities. And you start questioning, is this really what I want to be doing? And then you start to kind of get a rhythm. You start to kind of find yourself, find your feet and know what works. And for me, what worked was really the variety. And that's why when I first started having a distributorship, 
We sold DME products, so durable medical equipment, which you know could be anything from cold therapy to braces to any type of AIDS, uh, bone growth stimulators. We had a little bit of everything, and then we had surgical lines. So I had a combination, so I could go talk to clinics multiple times a week, talk to different doctors in the clinic based on different products. That gave me a lot of opportunities. Often heard no, like I said, and it just started to hone kind of what I was having success with and what I wasn't. And that was kind of a good process. And then when I moved out here to Arthrex, it was all surgical all the time. And it was a volume game and it's a rush and you're constantly going and you're moving around quite a bit. And it took a little bit of different skill set. And it took me a short minute to get my feet under me on that front in terms of the expectations and what you're doing. But when you do, you kind of find a rhythm of what works and what surgeons want to do. And it really became about kind of how I do things today. That's awesome. And I think you touched on a really good point because not all of these medical sales roles, you know, you don't attack each position in the same way, right? The way you attack capital is different than how you attack med device. So kind of going off that, you've been in a variety of those medical sales roles. Explain to me how your days and your responsibilities kind of varied amongst those. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me, like early on, like I said, it was a lot of clinic sales, a lot of walking in, trying to get past gatekeepers, trying to figure out how I even get to the point that I can have a conversation with a surgeon or an end user, whether it's a materials manager or a surgeon user. And so a lot of it became about getting told no before I even got past the receptionist. And, you know, those days of I have 12 people to call on on my day and I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I'm done by 1030 in the morning because I got 12 no's already. I'm like, okay, well, that didn't go well. Like, what do I need to do next time? Or how can I get better at this? So those days were rough. Those are the days that are pretty humbling pretty quickly. And like I said, and and I'm not new to say this, but in this field, you're going to get told no more than you're going to get told yes. And if you're not comfortable being told no, you're not going to go very far. And you're not going to have what it takes to get past that. So you have to listen. You have to be willing to accept no. You have to be willing to correct mistakes and actions and learn. And those days taught me a lot of that. And so that's different than capital sales where you're talking to a lot of, you know, materials management, C-level office, you know, people, and they're just budget-based and buying cycle-based and it's different. And you got to have proposals in place and you got to have budgets, you know, in line with your needs. And then you get to this kind of sports game and doing the orthopedic surgical stuff. And it's a lot different and it's surgeon users and it's, they care about different things and finding out what they care about and why they care about things is probably the number one most important thing I do because ultimately they're the ones that I need to have buy-in. And so it's a different scheme. It's different approaches and it's different learning processes, but by far my most favorite so far ever has been the orthopedic surgical sales. Yeah. And that's a little bit of your background too. That's, yeah. that's more your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. My entire career has been based on orthopedics, sports medicine. So that's kind of where I felt comfortable and that was where my passion lied and my education lied. And so that's where I wanted to spend my time. Awesome. I love it. So for someone that's trying to break into the industry, what are your thoughts on the notion of, you know, just take any position to get your foot in the door? Right. And we've had this conversation a few times, and I know with you and Scott both helping all these new folks trying to get in, it's it's important. It's a stressful time. It's made it a little bit harder now, obviously, with COVID and everything going on. But my philosophy has been a bad fit is a bad fit. And 
I use the term spray and pray. Uh, you know, people are more than willing in the email world and social media worlds now to just fire stuff off and I'll apply to 5,000 jobs because there's 5,000 openings. And I can almost promise you that 4,999 of those jobs are not right for you. <laughs> and so you've spent a lot of time sending a lot of email and a lot of resumes to people that are probably, if you do get an interview, good for you, but you're probably not going to come across as someone that would fit. And it's nothing about you. It's probably more something that they can tell and is not a foundational passion for you. So, and then, you know, I'd listened to a few other podcasts that you guys have, have put together and Joey had talked about, you know, if you don't like feet, you probably shouldn't take a podiatry job. Right. And I think that goes for every job. If you don't like blood, you know, your job, biologics, you're probably not going to be successful if you can't handle biologics and being around that. And same thing for really joints, recon, all these, you know, capital. If you don't have a passion for what you're going to eventually apply for, that's going to come across and you're going to spend a lot of time. And I just don't want to see people spend the time, spend the energy, get discouraged over something that is so preventable as to be selective and be focused and choose the right application to send to the right company for that job. Absolutely. And you and I, we were speaking about this too, is you want to pick a job that you can be successful in. You can be happy in because this is going to be, you're going to eat, breathe, live, sleep this position. You want to be successful. If you set yourself up to not be successful, now you have that on your resume and now you need to explain that to your next employer. And that just creates another hurdle for you to overcome. Right. And then how much of that are you willing to endure before you start reapplying? Right. And then now you're three months in and you're like questioning whether you made the right decision. And you're like, I hate this. It's not where I want to be. I'm reapplying. And now you have to explain that. You either have to explain poor performance because you stuck around for a year or two years or however long. Or you have to explain, why are you back searching in three months? Right. And that, to me, just tells me as a hiring person that if you're back out in the market in three months, you were just trying to get in. And it wasn't passionate for you. And you didn't find some focus that fit for you. And it's just not something you want to go down that road. I get it. You want to be hired. You want to do that. But do it right and you have success. Do it quick and you're pretty much bound to fail. I love that you brought up that point. It's a great point. Let's talk about your success. 2019 U.S. Rep of the Year. Did you do anything different last year to secure that title? Different, no. Like I said, I had great teammates, Bray Miller and Brian Rasmussen, helping and working with me here in the East Valley. And those two have been around for a long time. And it just worked out that the three of us had a good year. Each of us had different strengths. And it was one of those things that, you know, between the three of us, it was a group effort. And by no means do I take full bear of that responsibility or reward. It was definitely something that we shared and would not have happened had the three of us not been working together. That's awesome. That's what I love about this field too. You can surround yourself with people that push you, people that pick up for what you might not have as a strength. And overall that team mentality and approach is always fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing is, was we worked really well because each of us have different strengths. Like I said, it wouldn't have happened if one of us wasn't working as hard as we could to help our team grow and get better. It's definitely been something that was an awesome year and I'd love to repeat it. And it's just <laughs> definitely through a group effort. Right. So what do you say to those wanting to break into this industry that are under the impression that being a med device rep is just this glamorous lifestyle 
they may not truly grasp what it takes to actually be successful in this industry. So I've listened to your podcast and I've (laughs) heard my favorite cliches of all time of the hard worker and I'm a grinder and I outwork people and I'm motivated and I'm competitive and I do my homework. And to me, those are the minimum barriers for entry. If you don't do that, you're not going to last. You're not going to survive. You're not going to get in. So I don't need to hear how hardworking you are or how motivated or how competitive an athlete you were back in high school or college. That doesn't do anything for me. What does is the, the skill set translates. However, if any people that are coming in to try and apply for a job don't have that, you're not getting in the door. So consider that the minimum barrier. And then it's the folks that think, oh, it's so glamorous and it's a six-figure salary and it's going to be awesome and I'm just going to be rocking this world. You know, It's not even close to that. And for probably the first, let's say, year to 18 months, maybe two years, you're going to be struggling. No one's going to give you $100,000 with a territory that's saturated and be like, go get them, Tiger. They're going to give you... You know, they're breaking it off of a bigger territory or they're giving you a zero base for a reason is because there's no business or there's been very little business. So your penetration rate is very low and it's your job to get out there and learn how to grow and saturate the market. So it's not glamorous. It's probably two years of struggle. And that's kind of what, you know, everybody is kind of accustomed to. If you can make it two years and be successful on some level, it doesn't have to be president's club or elite club winners, just some success you can probably survive. But those folks that think I'm a hard worker and I'm dedicated, it's going to be the ticket in and I'll outwork people is not going to be the the reason why you stay, nor is a six-figure salary. If you're just in it for the salary, my mind, don't bother. Like you said earlier, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's something that you have to have a lot of passion for. It's something that you have to be invested in. And if your motivation is dollars, As a primary motivator, that's not probably going to be something that you're going to survive because, like I said, those first year or two years are going to be rough and you're going to tap out and find something easier to do. We were talking about this a little bit earlier and you had previously mentioned it, but we were talking about how it's important to be like a sniper, not have a shotgun or like you said, that spray and pray mentality. Explain to our listeners what you mean by that. So I guess ultimately for me, it's snipers work, shotguns don't in the sense that If you're firing your resume out to all these applications, it's going to be hard for you to find something that you like because you're not going to remember what you applied for and or why you applied for it in the first place. Secondarily to that, if you don't have the focus that it takes to be very specific and learn to invest your time in the things that matter to you, i.e. studying or learning about a field, you're not going to be very successful in the long run. And that's probably one of the reasons why you're going to step away because it's not something that you found passionate or found interest in long enough to keep you motivated to succeed through the hard times. You can do anything in this field for a short period of time, but can you do it for a long period of time? And that's the true measure of if you're going to be successful. And so it's hard for people that just fire things out or throw every possible thing at a dock and say, hey, will you use this? And the doctor's like, why would I use that? And you're just like, because it's in my bag. I want you to use it. And they're like, no. And so you hear no a lot because people just throw everything at the wall until something sticks. Instead of learning what motivates somebody, 
either as a buyer or as a user, why they use something, then you're never going to have a long-term success rate. It's just going to be fixed a short-term problem, but it doesn't give them a solution. Awesome. So, you know, I think you kind of just gave some advice, but what's some advice that you'd give people either wanting to break in or to those that just landed their first job and they're hitting the ground running? Yeah. So I think the biggest advice would be focus on learning as much as you can about why someone uses or buys something. Understanding someone's motivation in sales is probably the number one thing that will give you some form of success. In the sense that if you don't understand why someone wants to use something and or why someone wants to buy something, it's very hard for you to repeat that. And therefore, you're looking constantly as an outsider and saying, I sold X, Y, and Z to this account. And you have no reason to understand why, then what success are you going to have to move that across town and sell it to another account? But understanding somebody's why and why surgeons use things, why people in materials management buy things is very important. And a lot of times, for example, we get products that come out and one of the big things is our marketing department (laughs) is always very good at telling you the features and benefits. And one of the things that new reps or people just getting started always love to do is they take their new literature. It's on this nice shiny glossy paper and they fire it in front of a doc and they just want to reiterate what's on the features and benefits list. And that's great. And marketing does a lot of work to produce those. But what that does not do and what that does not translate to is what's going to touch with that person. If you don't have any background as to why Dr. Smith, for example, uses one of your shoulder anchors in an arthroscopic repair, then you're never going to understand what's going to motivate them to try something of yours if they're using a competitive product. So Understanding, learning, doing homework, like I said, it's foundational. It's minimal entry. And if you can't do that, it's hard to sell anything in your bag. So I have a hard time when people just want to take features and benefits and run with that. And that's probably the number one thing is learning how to go beyond that because that's where true value lies. I love that you brought up the marketing part. I mean, we all love our marketing teams, but not a lot of them have a sales background. So as much work as they do and they give us very valuable tools, right? But taking that and applying that is a totally different game. It is. At some level, there was probably a surgeon that was part of the production and engineering and all this, and it was why they developed it or wanted to develop it in the first place. And that speaks to them. Does it also speak to the surgeon user here in town? And if you just go in and they give you the features and benefits, and this is why you should use it, and it's, you know, maybe a small anchor that's made out of metal and they're not going to use metal. Then what good is it going to do this person? So you really have to do some homework and you really have to learn and you have to understand what motivates each particular user. And like I always say, know the surgeons why. Well, that's awesome. I think that does it for this episode. But Mitch, I just want to thank you so much for your time and your very valuable insight. I love it when people come on here and keep it real and don't try to sugarcoat everything that this industry entails. So I hope what we discussed really resonates with our listeners and I hope they find value in your perspective. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm going to take off as we will after every episode with a very sincere thank you for tuning in and a little food for thought to carry with you for the rest of your day. 
You aren't paid according to how hard you work. You're paid according to how hard you are to replace. <laughs>